Greetings from Longtime No See, the podcast. Every week, we'll be inviting two blindfolded comedians to answer a series of questions about their careers, lives, and opinions. Now, let's remove those blindfolds and start the show. Hi! What would your opening line with your celebrity crush be? Loved you in Harry Potter. <laughs> Worst date you've been on? A man bit my neck mole off once. You did what? A man bit my neck mole off. Oh my God, Jack almost fell off his chair. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast. Hey pod people, Engineer Adam here, jumping in for a quick second to let you know about the brand new all-in-one platform for all of you creative podcasters out there. Anchor makes it easier than ever to make a podcast. It's free to use and has all the creation tools you need to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Plus, Anchor will get your podcast set up on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are found. Even better, Anchor helps you connect with sponsors, even if you're just starting out. It's the perfect choice for podcasters, so make sure to check it out. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Back to the show. Consequence Podcast Network. People, Leo Phillips here with This Must Be The Gig, your little backstage pass to the world of live music. Every single week we bring you fascinating conversations from the beating heart of the performance scene with some of the most exciting names on this big, gigantic, spongy globe. We talk passion, we talk first concerts, insights into the creative mind during this truly unusual time and everything in the Juicy Center. This week, we're thrilled to share a conversation with the delightful and charming Maya Hawk. My experience of doing plays and of playing in bands and has always been like, okay, we're on a team, we have a mission, this is our goal. Though only 21, Maya is already making a name for herself in two separate artistic practices. You may know her as Robin from season two of Stranger Things, in a role which saw her building incredible comedic timing and emotional sincerity with past podcast guest Joe Keery. But with the release of her debut album, Blush, Maya is showcasing her poetic and musical skill as well. Writing and working alongside musician Jesse Harris, Maya's crystalline voice and straightforward, open-hearted songs are exactly the intimate and honest material that will become close friends within one listen. While she is the daughter to the mega-talented and famous Uma Thurman and Ethan Hawke, Blush is a powerful project that stands on its own and bodes well for a long, diverse career. Lior spoke with Maya about the origins of Blush, sharing art in the midst of a pandemic, first concerts, life in lockdown, and so much more. So let's not be delayed. This is Lior and Maya. Enjoy!
how to appeal to your body to take me on the floor. not to think about what could be happening but it's a little easier for me because i basically only had one thing i was doing which was stranger things um yeah. so i just had one big delete oh my god but did you do you put that on your google calendar <laughs> like, of course filming today oh you do yes i can't believe that that was meant to happen now and we are as fans now stuck the storyline is very much enmeshed in what's happening right now. Everything feels very gloomy. I kind of agree with you. I came back into the city yesterday to um, collect some clothing of mine because when I went upstate in the beginning, I thought I was going to be going for a week. And I, um, so I only had one pair of pants and two T-shirts and whatever. <laughs> um, so I came back to get some clothes. And um, I uh, have been sort of um, shocked uh, by the... Um, by the way the city feels. It just feels so different to me. I know. So where were you meant to be filming at the moment? Where was it going to be filming? Atlanta. And how long was that all meant to happen for? Uh, about six months. Um, okay. Six, seven months. Um, and we did two weeks of it. So I definitely know what the next year of my life is going to look like. Yeah. Um. <laughs> is it very different to what you've experienced so far in the previous season? Like how much of it... it obviously, you don't need to give me spoilers... But how much of the character has shifted, you know, just by proxy of getting to know her? Quite a bit. I think um, I'm, um, uh, I'm, very, I'm very in love with my character. And, um, and I think that both by my getting to know her and the Duffer Brothers getting to know me, she's definitely grown and changed and um, is, is someone I'm really excited to play and really really get a lot out of living in the body of and, and being in the life of. So I'm, I'm, I love that. How do you like switch between getting to know a character that you understand will kind of grow as, you know, working for a TV show versus a film? I suppose you understand that that character, just like one's own life, is going to shift and progress. So do you do you feel like that you could bring some of your own... I don't know if this is a silly question, but I'm just kind of curious if you... It's not a silly question at all. It's not a silly question. It's a very smart question. And my answer to it is complicated because yeah. I'm on a learning curve too. Like, mm. I don't know. I, every character I've ever played my whole life, whether it was in school plays or movies or whatever, has always been where I knew the whole character's arc before I stepped on stage totally. to do the first line. And... Um, this is really different than that. Um, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen to Robin. I don't know um, how her story is going to unfold or um, who she is going to turn out to be. And, and so, just like I don't know who I'm, how I'm going to turn out to be. And so, I think we're kind of on a journey together that I'm very excited to watch unfold. So, looking at just the all the performances that you've done, and then now heading into kind of a different phase that's you know congruent to everything that you're doing it's not like everything is totally separate what sort of brain work is happening when you are using different one for acting and performing as a role and imagining this this character and trying to become her versus playing music and being honest with that voice you know, like saying someone else's lines and adopting them for your own versus speaking your own mind is very different. Well, I don't know about you, but human beings are so changeable. Yeah. And, you know, when I wrote those, when I write the songs, they feel urgent and exactly how I feel and exactly what I mean. 
And then by the time I perform them live or even record them, a lot of the time they feel like a memory of a person that I'm not anymore or a lesson I, I, I learned. And I like there's a song on the record called Menace. And um, I love that song. when I wrote it, I was, oh, thank you. Um, when I wrote it, I was really apologizing for, um, for a behavior pattern in myself, um, for a way that I was. And, and then I, cause I, I had been getting a lot of criticism from someone I was with. And, um, and then, but by the time when I performed that song now, I don't feel apologetic. I feel like, oh my God, what a fool was I to think I needed to apologize for being myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and but I don't change the song. It's the same song, but I sing it with a different intention. Um, and so it is a character in some ways, you know. Even even that song is a character. I've spoken to so many artists about their process, you know, in self-realization and writing and things like that. And weirdly, I wrote a little note. I was just looking at my notepad, and I I wrote next to Menace. Like, who was that about? Because I wasn't sure if that was about retelling a story. Because, like, the musical language of the songs on the album are very far-reaching. Menace has that smoky kind of twang, whereas, like, Mirth has this really spectral, orchestral quality to it, just talking about the musical side of it. Yeah. But in lyrically, Menace, of course... I didn't know who you were talking about then. And I really don't know. Like, even on Goodbye Rocket Ship... Um, you know, I can uh, I can kind of understand and guess who that story is about, but it is very personal. It's not like you're. It doesn't feel like you're singing somebody else's songs. My favorite songs are one where, like, you know, it feels like it's so specific. Like it feels like, oh, that's definitely about something really specific to this person, but I don't know what it is. You know, that's my. My favorite song, like I'm obsessed with Fiona Apple's new record right now. And when I listen to Under the Table or whatever, um, you know, I I feel like I know what she's feeling. I feel like I know how specific she feels it and what it means. And I feel like I've gone through something similar, but I don't know who she's singing about exactly. And I don't know if she's talking about someone who is like mad at her or someone who doesn't want her to speak her mind. I'm not, you know, the, the different versions of what that kind of, repression and control can actualize and so those are, and I aspire to write songs like that 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 you know sort of inspire a feeling in people but they're not totally sure if it's the same feeling that is inspired in you I think that mystery is important but it also takes a lot of courage like just listening to a Fiona Apple album I don't know about you but I actually listened to it underneath my duvet I couldn't like breathe I didn't know Wait, I'm a huge Fiona fan and I didn't know Me too. I didn't know what to do with my body. Like I felt like I was just sinking into the into the earth. <laughs> I was just so I totally oh I totally agree. God. I felt yeah, it was a very it was a feeling of being very vindicated but also like and like and seen and also kind of like just bewildered and kind of taken apart. Um yeah, it was really, really a powerful listening experience for me, too. Uh, do you feel, though, that having that experience by learning other people's stories via acting and just having the family that you have and the support system that you have, have you been able to open up even more? Like, how much uh, how much of this album came from a place that you might not have been able to tap into even just a year or two ago? You know, if there's, I mean, the album was written in the last two years. Mm. And so there are, and I definitely feel that journey in the songs happen. They're not in chronological order, the songs on the record, but I can feel where, you know, the, some of the songs that I was writing two years ago, um, like Bringing Me Down um, and River Like You are older songs on the record and newer songs are like Mirth and so long and generous heart. Um, and I can feel that where I, what I tapped into with generous heart, um, for example, I didn't have access to two years ago. Um, so I definitely can feel my own. And also the ways in which I um, took on different amounts of control of the production of the songs, um, the way that the music was telling the story definitely changed a lot. Um, throughout the the year that I was writing, the years that I was writing. Yeah, Generous Heart is such a powerful statement right off the back. Like having that, you know, as the first track, it's like 
subtle and it's warm, but it's very focused on your voice. I mean, I suppose the entire album really builds from there. It grows from that arrangement. So how was it? How important was it then to put that track first? Well, it, it became very important to me to put that track first because a lot of the songs on the record are quote-unquote love songs. Um, they're songs about relationships. A lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them. And, um, and that song was the last song I wrote um, about that relationship and that um, and the chorus um, I have nothing to say about love anymore love is nothing I am yours became really important to me because this I my biggest experience of falling in love the first time was that I it ended and I didn't really understand what it was like I was like what happened um, <laughs> yeah. like what like what what occurred that made me make so many compromises and also grow so much. And like, what is this chemical that affected me? I don't understand it. And, um, and, and like, so I, that song became very important to me to put first as a reflection on all the rest of the songs. Um, and, uh, and the production of that song, the, the way in which there's that kind of deep thunderous electric guitar part that almost doesn't even sound like an electric guitar. Mm. And there's also this kind of, more folky uh, acoustic nylon string going on um, really were the two kind of sides of me in that moment, which was like one was this kind of very optimistic, very bright, very hopeful person. And one was this very haunted, very upset, um, like dark person. And I, I like, so that song was very important to me because I definitely had the most agency and control and conscious decision-making on the way that the production played out. And the the lyrics were very important to me as a reflection on the rest of the album. Because obviously poetry is very important to you. Like it's clear from your songwriting. Do you have any sort of idea of, do you c cling on to words? Or is it more about talking about that moment, like a journal or a diary, writing it in a, in a way of telling a story? I mean, storytelling is incredibly important to me. But only, um, but I, but I also really like to push storytelling and have it not just be a plot that you know that starts and ends and and but but to have it be really interconnected with poetry and and metaphoric symbolism and I mean you'll see a lot of um, nature metaphors in in the record and it was it's very important to me to take the things that happen to me and the ways that I feel and the stories I want to tell and connect them to these sort of broader metaphoric structures. Why is it important to do that for you? I don't know. Um, maybe because it's this level of remove where it's like, I don't just want to write a song that feels like a journal entry. I, I want it to have, I, I don't want it to just feel like something you're scribbling down on a notebook when you're crying after a party in the rain, you know? I want it, <laughs> I want it to have like, work and effort put into it and it should be constructed be constructed thoughtfully and poetically yeah i hear that so what did you come to first then was it acting or was it singing for me in acting and in singing and in songwriting it's all about words like the thing that excites me about acting is is bringing blood and life to language and taking a sentence on a page and setting it on fire and running it through your system and expressing it through your mouth and adding all of this energy to it all this life experience all this feeling and I feel the same way about singing you're taking language on a page and you're bringing life to it and not just um kind of emotional life but also melodic life um and so for me the the tie that connects both things and the most important part to me is the word the language so how, I mean it's kind of crazy because of the trajectory just looking at like where you started and obviously the experience that you had from a young age obviously not a lot of people know the back end behind the scenes of having parents who are in an industry and it isn't like you've followed the same path but I suppose it seeps into your skin in some way right like just being able to see that world and having a grasp of it in a way that isn't 
you know, the way that I see it. You know, I'm this, I'm just this schleb on the side who watches films and you got to experience it from the inside. So did it kick in when you were younger, when you saw your parents or when you were, I don't know if you ever visited any sets with them, I'm sure you did, but did it kind of clink to you like, hang on, I'm really connect this is resonating this is something that i feel like i can do you know that didn't i'm thinking that i would do it professionally didn't happen until i was an older teenager but now looking back on it um i looking back and reflecting on my experience i you know i can't help but notice the ways in which um my experience of being an on-set kid and is different and is different than some people's like I sometimes will bring my friends on set with me or, and they're not that interested, you know, <laughs> like they want to sit, they want to sit and watch one take, but they don't want to watch eight takes of the same scene and then watch it from the, the other angle 10 more times, you know? And, and when I was a kid, that's really what I wanted to do. Like my happiest place in the world was sitting in front of the camera with the headphones on, not in front of the camera, behind the camera with the headphones on and watching take after take of the same scene and watching the different choices that, my parents and their coworkers would make. And that level of fascination, I mean, I remember my dad was once doing the Shakespeare play, um, A Winter's Tale, and I, I came to watch a dress rehearsal and I watched it. And then when it was over, they were gonna do it again in the evening. And I was like, oh, I'd like to stay and watch it again. And my dad always marked that as a moment where he knew that I was gonna go into the arts, even though I didn't, because I saw my interests as normal. I saw my interests as average. and and totally normal, but he knew what I didn't know, which was that wanting to watch a winner's tale two times in one day as a dress rehearsal is, is, is not necessarily normal. Pause the podcast. It's time to step away from the conversation with Maya Hawk ever so briefly to share a special segment. We typically like to share our favorite live show or live stream of the week, but want to continue putting a spotlight where it's most needed and instead highlight an organization we think you should contribute to. This week, that organization is Harlem Arts Alliance. The Harlem Arts Alliance brings together a network of established and emerging visual and performing artists, businesses, and institutions that partner with major institutions in New York to increase its members' visibility. To contribute, you can head to harlemaa.org. That's H-A-R-L-E-M-A-A.org. As always, that information will be in the show notes as well as the essential resources guide that's posted on our social media. If you have an organization you think we should highlight in this segment, feel free to reach out to us at thismustbethegig at gmail.com. But for now, back to Lior and Maya. Enjoy! So I can trace my fascination and my passion back to being a young kid, but I didn't really become aware as, of, of it being what I wanted to do in my life or of my fascination being at all extraordinary until I was older. It's such a wonderful way of putting it as well, because especially when I think there's always this misconception of like, oh, it's an easy path if people in your family do it, not only in the film industry, in the music industry, in any industry, the idea of entering the same career path as your parents is really difficult for anyone, whether that's, I don't know, running a family business or acting, but knowing that they had that support for you and maybe they saw in you that you were seeing a different side of it. I suppose that's it's a really fascinating side of it, the technical side of it that people don't see and that you clearly latched onto, you know? I think if you go into the movie business and don't care about that side, um, you're going to be very disappointed because most of what acting is is waiting around on set, standing by the crafty trailer, doing the same thing over and over a hundred times, doing a dress rehearsal, doing another one, you know, taking notes, adapting, change, like there's a, there's a lot of kind of somewhat monotonous rigor to the business and the creativity of acting that I'm sure a lot of people who go into it as a job don't think about much. Um, they, they see it glamorous and creative. And um, I feel incredibly fortunate to have gotten to go into the business with the information that I went into it with and, and knowing at least a little bit about what the experience of it is really like and not just what other people see on the outside. 
Yeah, it, it's kind of like a little bit of a shield because although I'm sure you didn't take it too hard completely because whatever experience your mum had and your dad had, those are so separate to how you are experiencing it, of course. I mean, look at the industry and how much has changed in just like five years, you know, it's completely different. Yeah, I think that it's true. And I, I, I think I even thought that I was more prepared than I was, oh God. you know, I <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I thought that I knew what it would be like to have people look at you or write about you or criticize you. And I thought that I understood what that experience would be. And I definitely didn't. Like, I definitely was not ready in a lot of ways. Um, And as no one can be, you know, I definitely had a lot of, um, like, things to learn and room to grow. And um, but so so, yeah, so it's definitely been been even more different than I thought it was. Um, Did you ever turn to them and speak about how different your experience has been? Because obviously looking at music and as music is performance as well, and that how nuanced that performance can get depends on exactly what role you take on, right? Like there's a lot of musicians that I chat to who are not themselves when they're up on stage and they openly admit it. They're like, Leo, I go on stage. I'm a completely different person. This is my act. This is my show. And then I go home and kiss my wife, you know? So it's like, there's so many different versions. So have you been able to share those experiences with your family because I know your sisters are on this record as well I think they sing on where did I hear them on cricket I think they sing on menace and on cricket yeah so you know it's it's everyone's kind of so linked um so did you have an opportunity to chat about your like how much of the process are you even breaking apart as you're going through it or do you just dive into projects and then talk about your experience afterwards you know I guess it's a combination of the two for the most part I probably dive in and and I go on and I, and I as a person I operate on instinct a lot like I I've, I've learned to trust things and that I that when I overthink things is when I make mistakes um when I when I get a good feeling I should follow it and when I get a bad feeling I should follow it and when I try to make intellectual decisions about what art I want to make or what I want to say that's when things kind of go badly for me um but um, I, uh, so, and like, you know, for example, putting my sisters on that record, um, on those songs was about, you know, those, those two songs specifically and the whole record, but I'm very interested in childhood and in the fact we think that childhood is something that we're going to grow out of and our bodies grow out of it. Um, but really our hearts and our minds are just still little kids, like we're little kids at bars. We're little kids in relationships. We're little kids having sex. We're little kids doing jobs. And we learn to, to moderate ourselves and to control ourselves and to do our laundry and to, you know, like take out the trash. And we learn to take care of ourselves as adults, but our spirits, at least mine, feel, still feel so childlike. And, um, uh, and so I, uh, so that's, you know, I, I partly put them on those songs for that reason to kind of remind the listener, that the person who is expressing these thoughts and these ideas feels like a child um, and, and, you know, lives like a child and loves like a child. And so that's why I put them on the record. Um, But uh, so I don't don't know if that even answers your question. That makes me think of your song, Goodbye Rocket Ship, where you talk a little bit about like, you didn't know how to raise me. I think you say something I'm definitely going to get it wrong, but you say something about like, you didn't know how to raise me more than I knew how to grow up. And no, you didn't get it wrong. That's exactly Is that right. right. Yeah. It was a really good line. Thank you. Well, funny enough, I actually wrote that line when I was 14. Oh um, my God. And in a, a different song um, that I really wrote just sort of to apologize to my father for lying. Um, I we sort of I I I we'd gotten I'd gotten into trouble for telling a lie and I wrote a song to apologize and um, that line was in the song and I it always I'd always clocked it as having been something that was bigger than the song that I had written when I was fourteen I was like oh that that line means something to me still so I wrote a new song for that line and um, and that's goodbye rocket ship and and it was and goodbye rocket ship is really about um, it's it's about how much we love our parents and how much 
um, those feelings, those loves are our first. And the reason that it's the la second to last song on the record um, is because, you know, a lot of the record is about romantic relationships and um, relationships with our parents are, you know, I mean, in, in a classic armchair psychology way, what informs so much of what our relationships are like with other adults as we become adults. And, um, and that song is, is about, is about my relationship with my dad and, um, and the way, what, what that line, what you didn't know how to raise me any more than I knew how to grow up meant when I was 14, it means something really different to me now, but it, and I hope that when people listen to it, if they do, that it maybe will mean something different to a 12 year old Stranger Things fan than it will mean to someone like you. I hear that. I mean, on the one end, you wrote a song based on you wanting to say sorry, which I think is unbelievably precious. That's a really bl blissful memory. Um, what, what did your dad do when he heard the song now? I think I remember what he said. And I think what he said is, I understand. And that's always been why I've written music to people in communication kind of based ways and in storytelling based ways, because there are sometimes these thoughts and feelings that we have and what we really want is just to be understood and, um, and, and heard. And for some reason, when you put ideas into art, whether it's a screenplay or a book or a short story or a song, it's easier to understand them than when someone is talking to you or yelling at you or um, crying at you. And, and I, the, the, that song is a summary in a lot of ways of something I've been trying to express to my dad for a long time and not been able to. And so I played it for him and, and, and he just told me that he understood, you know? God, did he not just bawl? Was he not just sobbing? I feel, <laughs> I feel like that's a song, if you play it for your dad, that I don't, I don't want to like go into the emotional depth of your relationship with him, but I can, I can imagine it was really touching for him to experience as well. Well, I think in a double whammy of like, feeling your child grow as a creative person and take work that they'd done as a kid and turn it into something meaningful as an adult was a real moment of, of pride for him, I yeah. think. Yeah, and then also the feelings that I was expressing are were, you know, tense and powerful and interconnected in the story of our relationship and who we are to each other. And um, so I think I think it was probably a little intense. But he writes things that are personal all the time, so he can take it. <laughs> he knows he knows what he's doing so he comes from the same cloth yeah i exactly. saw i saw the video of you you and your dad that your dad shot in the barn for um for coverage and there were obviously yeah. a number of great things firstly that there was a dog just milling about which i just loved and <laughs> and that your sisters were there and there was like I don't know. There was canned goods on the side. I don't know why I picked up that weird detail. But what is yeah. that barn? What What is that barn for usually? Is it used as a barn or is it a place for you to kind of uh, write and uh, hang out? What is, what is it used for usually? My dad very intelligently, um, like two weeks before coronavirus really got serious, um, bought, a, um, uh, bought a place in Connecticut. Um, from his his teacher actually um and uh and so that's a, the kind of adaptive barn um uh it, that is now a guest house and is where i sleep um ah. but um <laughs> amazing so, yeah but you mentioned something earlier that was really interesting where that people really don't talk about much which was how there's that downtime between acting and i feel that way for a touring musician as well which i know obviously you were meant to tour this record but there is yes. all those spaces in between. So were you writing whilst you were, you know, on sets, like with, you know, even during Tarantino's film uh, or during Stranger Things? Like how much of that seeped into your experience? Or are those two things you have to keep those two things separate? No, not at all. I don't keep anything separate. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, my whole, every song on that, record was written in some kind of moment of joy or panic and like scribbled onto the back of sides um written in my trailer written on an airplane um it's it's 
my next journey, I think, as a writer and as a creative person is going to be to figure out how to write on a schedule. Um, And it's been really difficult for me during coronavirus to figure out how to write without my normal triggers. Um, Because uh, I normally always write in response. I don't sit down and think, I'm going to write a song today and then write a song. I I, something happens, I feel something, I go through something. I'm, you know, I mean, I wrote coverage um, in the dressing room uh, while I was filming this movie, Mainstream with Gio Coppola. And that song is all about, um, you know, how it feels to pretend to fall in love on camera and um, what that, how it impacts you and how sometimes your body or your brain doesn't know that you're pretending. Um, but, uh, but, but you do. And so it's, it's a, it's a real, um, I don't know, it's a, it's a real journey. Um, and uh, I, I'm, so I, I'm, I'm, my next step as an artist is to figure out how to learn how to be creative on a schedule, um, which I really don't know right now. But writing in response to something and having that trigger is an unbelievable tool as a creative. I feel like I definitely that resonates with the way that I write as well. It's such a good way to get your brain into the motion because you want to be so authentic and honest and genuine, right? You don't want to like make this thing homework or make this thing big. You want it to feel as a part of you. So that's such a that's such an interesting point because I don't think a lot of people understand that there are different ways to be disciplined in, in, in a craft. You know, not everybody has the same way. That's totally true. I mean, every, definitely not everyone has the same way. But also, you know, I think what maturing as an artist often is, is figuring out how to take the thing that came only out of love and only out of inspiration and and have a work ethic about it. Um so I think that, you know, it both both ways are important. What character have you then felt the most connected to? Like, what character did you feel, like you just mentioned the Gia's, Gia Coppola's, new, the new film that you shot. You know, what character are you, do you feel like you have been able to see yourself in? Uh, the character I played that I saw the most of myself in was probably Joe March. Um, my first job was, was Little, Little Women. Women. Yeah. And that was definitely an incredibly important um, part for me and helped me find myself and my voice as an actor and, and as a young woman, too. Yeah. So do you remember the very first moment when you performed? Like, did you perform for a crowd acting or was it singing? What was that first moment that you shared yourself in that light? Definitely like acting in school plays in uh, kindergarten and first and second grade. Um, oh, yeah. I remember my first play, my first full play was Jenny and the Hotel for Cats. <laughs> wow. Do you remember, how old were you? I was probably in the, in the first grade or in kindergarten. Um, I remember my costume. I remember, I remember a lot about it. I was one of the three Jenny. I think. Yeah. <laughs> so do you remember the very first, uh, you know, when you were younger, a lot of people have memories of their f- first concert, which we often talk about on the show, that very first gig that they ever saw. But I suppose I don't know if the first show that you saw was music or a play because you were so, in, you know, you were so a part of that world. Um, I definitely saw plays before I went to concerts. Um, I remember my dad and I went to go see almost every production of Hairspray um, <laughs> that there was. We saw it in New York. We saw it in Toronto. Um, we saw it all over the all over the globe. Um, we went to go see Hairspray. Oh my so, God. Um, was that because you were love you loved it, or did your dad love it? I think we both loved it. I think we loved it together. Does he sing as well? Because I know he plays guitar. Your mum sings also. I mean, your whole family is just this kind of living, breathing, creating thing. So does he? Does he also sing? He does sing. He sings wonderfully and with like tremendous confidence. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? Confidence. Uh, <laughs> I'll leave it to your interpretation, but it's for sure a good thing. Um, So do you, so obviously the first time that you performed your music, do you remember that moment of singing your own original songs? Was that to your family or was that to your friends? 
What was that experience like? I've been singing my own original songs to my friends and family for a long time. I think I started writing songs in the first grade. But when I was in the eighth grade, um, I did a concert at the Cafe Vivaldi where I played like 12 of my own original songs. I don't know, maybe maybe more um, that I've been working on with my guitar teacher for about a year. Um, and uh, he was a really wonderful teacher. His name is Kimball Gallagher. And he... Um, sort of got me uh, into the into the believing that I should perform these songs that I'd written and and he arranged this little concert and I it was one of the only times I ever actually got my parents in the same room. I invited them both and Amazing. and then all of my kind of mutual family friends and people from both sides of my family. Um, it was a, a real moment of me being like, I am an adult person. Yeah. All of these people are in my life. Yeah. I'm going to call you all here to listen to me. <laughs> and um, so it was uh, It was an important moment. It's so hard. Even when I got married, my parents are separated and have, you know, have their own lives. And we were all so thrilled when they separated because it just, you know, when you just know it's not right. And I was old yeah. enough to know. But I, even for my wedding, I was like, guys, you're going to have to be in the same room. It's happening. But I felt very much like I had grown up tremendously in that moment because it is like emerging because you you putting yourself in a position where you shit can go down. Like you don't know what can happen. (laughs) And it's really. You're like, no, I love you and I love you. And today's important to me. And so you're going to. It's going to matter to you too. Yeah, exactly. And so much of this process, that's why, uh, I don't know, that's why I suppose I love music because so much of it of it is an individualistic experience, but it is also so much of sharing. I suppose acting and film and cinema is the same in that there's so much of it you can draw from yourself, but you're also doing it for the benefit of others. You know that it's going yeah. to touch people in some way. I mean, I think that if you if you think too much that you're doing anyone else a favor, I mean, you're really like your ego is really getting loose. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, but I but you but it is it is about sharing and it is about collaborating and um, that's always been that's always been the thing that was most exciting to me about it. It's like I it feels like being on a sports team almost. You know, it feels like yeah. it's this my experience of doing plays and of playing in bands and has always been like, okay, we're on a team. We have a mission. This is our goal. This is how we're going to do it. I have your back. You have mine, you know? Um, yeah. So. What, what do other people or collaborators, how do they fit into your work? Like when you are on that team with, you know, even with stranger things, it always has felt like that team is a family. And I spoke to Joe, Joe was on the show a few Gosh, my God, it was a while ago now when he released his album. He came on the show to chat. And just the way that he described the experience, it felt like one of those stories that you, it's just so, it's almost romantic. It's so familial, you know, that experience on Stranger Things and working with those people. So how how was that experience for you? Well, I think definitely because we have kids on the show, it takes on this different sort of familial energy where you're really coming together from all different age groups. You know, there are people in their mid-20s, there are people in their 50s, and people who are, you know, 14 to 17. Um, so there's definitely this energy that, that that you're a family because it's people who wouldn't necessarily get a beer together all hanging out every day. Um, and that has a real familial energy. Um, and I only say wouldn't get a beer together because we're not the same age. Um, but, um, uh, but, um, so it's been amazing to me to be welcomed into that environment. And um, I definitely feel so much more comfortable there now on my second season than I did on my first. And um, and I can't wait to go back. I'm sure, I mean, I can't wait to get you back there. It was so wonderful seeing you in that role and experiencing that storyline, just not, never knowing what's going to happen. But I suppose, and also just the people you mentioned, sorry, I have to go back. You mentioned Gia earlier. And these people mm-hmm. that you've worked with, I can't even imagine. Like, do you still get that feeling working with Quinton, working with Jia? It's not an ego egoist feeling. It's a I'm in the midst of this presence of these people that are able to tell stories in a way that 
you know, have literally changed the landscape, including your folks and, you know, the work that you've done. So do you do you ever get those moments of like, uh, I can't believe that this that they are so close? Like, do you use those moments to ask them advice or like how how much of that do you think about? I mean, I think about it a lot. I try not to think about it too much because I'll just break down and nerve. Um, <laughs> yes. But um, uh, but I, I, I love collaborating. I love learning from people. I love the arts. I, I love helping other people's dreams come true. I love participating. And um, so it's always incredibly exciting to me to have the opportunity to, to work alongside someone like Gia or someone like Quinton and, um, and find the, the landscape of a story together. Um, it's, it's truly thrilling. Yeah. Did you get at any advice from either one of them or somebody that you've worked like is has there been that person in your life that has given you or said something that has really resonated and shifted the way that you've worked, not only thought, but also the actual mode of acting or writing? Has it shifted that for you? Well, Quentin always said, um, both when I was working with him and when I just was growing up alongside him and knew him, um, uh, always talked about how acting shouldn't be any different professionally as it is when you're a kid and you you're put on the cowboy hat and you pick up the spoon as your gun and, and you're a cowboy, um, that it's all play. And I definitely have taken that advice and that idea about play both into my work and my life in music and in acting. Um, it's all about play for me. Um, and, and, and in that childlike way, um, in that way where you can, you know, take a couch pillows and build a fort, um, you know, in that way where um, you incorporate your imagination and it becomes a lubricant to all storytelling. Um, and uh, so that was very important, but definitely the people that have said the most things to me that have stuck with me the longest and shaped the way that I feel about this work and, and my life here is my parents. Um, they're unbelievably wise and are just fountains of information. I couldn't begin to give you any quotes because I just don't remember. They come so often. Um, <laughs> I but, think that's um, even better than a quote, isn't it? That knowing that it's coming so often, that's amazing. As a person involved in such high-profile work around such high-profile people, you must get given advice regularly, but also maybe that you're not asking for. Does that happen because I think that's also the side that sometimes I find once you get into a good mode of working, people t tend to just dish it out. Do you find that frustrating at all? Maybe I'm just projecting on my own. <laughs> I think that's part of what being a young, uh, you know, person in the arts is, is like taking all the advice and sorting through it and figuring out what speaks to you and what doesn't. Um, and I think that you know, eventually, hopefully we all grow up and come into ourselves and figure out we don't need to hear that advice anymore. And we can tell people that or, you know, but I think what being young in this business is about is, is just taking it all in with gratefulness and sorting through it in your own body and trying everything and experimenting and, and hopefully sort of finding yourself in the process. Mm. What do you want to see from the effect of your music? Like how much, because I'm sure you're working on a million different things. It feels like you're that type of person to be working on things just even now with a, an album coming out. Um, but what do you what do you hope that this record will show, I don't know, fans that have met you along the way with Joe or met you with Robin or, you know, what are you hoping to to show of yourself in this in this album i guess just i mean i think in your question i'm hoping to show some of myself you know i mean i already feel like even just beginning to start putting out music the questions that people ask me have gotten so much more interesting you know like when you start out as a young actress in this business so much of what people ask you is like oh, who's your favorite brand and what do you like to wear? And, you know, like, um, and yeah. like, where do you like to shop? And what, what's, what's it like growing up with famous parents? And what's like, you know, the, the questions are so often so surface level, especially for young women, which is not a criticism to acting. Acting is like a deep and profound, crazy, magical organism. But celebrity and the way that we talk about actors and the way that we talk to young women is so often 
so superficial. And um, I'm very, and, and so I, but in showing a window into my heart, a window into my life, into my mind, through this music, I feel the way that I'm being received by other people is also getting deeper, um, which is, of course, going to be the case. Um, and that's, that's really exciting to me. Um, so I don't know, I don't know exactly if that's even an answer to your question. I don't know. I'm, I don't know what I hope anyone feels from the record or what they gleam about me. I don't know. Um, I feel grateful to the way that people have been responding and the way that it's changed my relationship to strangers. Um, but, um, uh, and I hope that, you know, I, I really hope that people listen to the record and don't think about me. I hope they think about themselves, um, which is what, you know, how I feel when I listen to a Fiona Apple record or a Phoebe Bridges record, or even a freaking John Lennon song, you know, I mean, I, I, I think about myself, like, am I a jealous guy? Um, you know, how do I, who am I? And in comparison to that person and in unison with that person and how do I, how am I going to grow? And, and if, if when, when music and, and art and movies achieve their job, people sit in the theater or sit listening to a concert and, and they don't cry because you're sad. They cry because they are. Um, and, uh, and it, and it helps to actualize and, and free those, those feelings and those thoughts that so often in our day-to-day life of existing, if you're not in the arts, we, we work pretty hard to repress. Um, so I don't know. I mean, that might be a pretentious response. No, I don't. Don't, know. I, don't don't end it with I don't know. You, I feel like there's so much honesty on this record that tells a story that again it's definitely much deeper than I ever anticipated. I didn't know what you would sound like when I first heard the record or anything like that. I didn't have any preconception of what you would sound like or anything, and it was such a wonderful surprise. To just get you right, it totally was a view. I did look at my own story. It does make you do that, and the best music does make you do that. And you sound like a music fan too, like that's the best part. Like <laughs> that is the to also be a gushy, you know, a gushy, embarrassing fan. That's what we all have to. That's what we lean on forever Mm -hmm. you know what sort of music have you been turning to that's giving you or what sort of things have you been turning to that's giving you some sort of respite from everything happening and I don't know an escape in a way well I've been watching a lot of Avatar the last airbender which I've been a big fan (laughs) of since I was um a little kid and now everyone else is catching on because it's on Netflix um but um I've been watching a lot of that again with my with my brothers and sisters um I've been listening to a lot of music. I've been listening to a lot of Post Malone. I've been listening to um, a lot of Beatles, actually. I've like I've gotten back. I had like a mega Beatles phase when I was 12 or something. And then, you know, as, as when you realize that everyone knows the Beatles are awesome and you're not special for thinking it um, as a teenager, sometimes you can kind of look away and be like, no, I'm going to find bands that other people don't like. And <laughs> I like, cause I'm an individual and I'm special. Um, and, uh, and then I, but I'm, but then you fall back into it. And so I've been listening to a lot of Beatles and a lot of like, you know, John Lennon and Paul McCartney and, um, post post Beatles and, um, getting a lot out of that and uh, feeling, I don't know, this is, doesn't need to be said at all, but I recently have found to have like some new, new amorous feelings of, uh, love and joy in my life that I somehow managed to pull off acquiring even in the middle of the coronavirus. Um, and I was, I often do this thing where I like try to, if I like someone or whatever, I try mm. to pick songs to send that person that express oh, the things yeah. I can't say or don't want to say, um, as I think a lot of us do. And I was listening to through so much music, trying to find the right song to send this person that was like kind of pure and optimistic and like, joyful enough, but still deep. And I, um, and I couldn't find it until I tapped tap back into my, into the Beatles, um, landscape. And I was like, Oh, that's there. There it is. Like there in that time period, there is that optimism and joy, but mm-hmm. it isn't just surface level. It isn't just like, Ooh, baby, baby, you make me crazy or whatever. It has this real richness. Um, and, um, uh, and so, I've been listening to a lot of Beatles anyway. Man, you found love. Isn't this just the best thing? I'm so happy. We'll for see. You. We'll see. We'll <laughs> see. Time will tell. 
Listen, throw yourself into it. There's literally nothing. You have nothing to lose. Like heartbreak is the <laughs> best. Uh, it's the best source. If you if you need to write in response, like love and heartbreak, they both live in the same world. I'm telling you, it's the the, the totally heart, you know. If the heart needs to crack again, it needs to crack. But there's no way you'd know if you didn't find out. So that's amazing. I totally agree. What do you want to shift in the kind of cultural? You know, like how people treat young female actresses. And you mentioned earlier that just the, the weird questions that come. How do you just experiencing now questions that are coming at you regarding your music? How are you going to how are you going to take that attitude into, I don't know, some sort of press junket that you're going to hopefully have in the future? Do you feel like you might shy away from silly questions or go against them or I don't know it's complicated I think yeah. that you know you have to have you have to be humble and you have to ask answer the questions that are asked of you and then what your hope is is that you continue to push yourself and make your work deeper and your life as an artist deeper and your contribution to the world both as an artist and as an activist deeper and then the questions will get more interesting you know, you can't assume, you can't assume, in my opinion, that people will ask you, you know, what you think about Proust because you're on Stranger Things. You know, yeah. you have to do something. Yeah. You have to, you have to contribute. Um, you, you, people will respond um, and ask you questions based on what you have contributed and what they know to ask you. And so, um, so like, yes, obviously the world needs to stop objectifying young women so much. Yes, there needs to be better roles for women to shine in so that people ask them better questions. Um, all those things have to happen, but that comes, but it's not about the journalist asking about your outfit. It's about the writer and the producer writing and producing the project that is profound and explores the depth of what it means to be a young woman so that it can welcome a young actress into that role and she can give her heart and soul to it. And then people will ask her interesting questions. Um, so I think I think it's 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 much deeper um, at the source. And every press junket I do, I will answer every question anyone asks me. I will tell them who my style icons are. I will tell them what face cream I use. I will tell them because because I haven't contributed yet in a way that is that anyone would want to know anything else from me. But hopefully someday, as I grow as an artist and as a human being, I will. And then the questions will follow and get more interesting. And, so, you know, know, there's merit in those questions too. Like you can't forget there that totally the world is. is so different right now that the that whether or not a question is asked based on a, an ignorance or just a lack of understanding of who you are as, as, are as a person or the role that you're playing. I also think that like the way that you can, like I feel like, can you imagine Stranger Things when you were younger? Like, I wish there was something no. like that when I was younger. They, I mean, they kind of was like Buffy for me. I'm much older than you. But you know what I mean? And I wish there was something like that when I was younger. Because then, as you said, you, you're going to be actively in that material. So naturally, people are going to ask you the questions that demand, you know, respect for that material. So I definitely yes. think there's still merit in that. Yeah. Me too. I totally do, um, I, and that's what I'm saying. Is I agree. I think there is merit in those questions, and I and they also have suck googled sometimes. online. <laughs> they, sometimes they suck, but sometimes yeah. they're great. And I and I have googled online to find out what you know moisturizer Liv Tyler uses <laughs> because she looks great, and I want to know, and I want to look great, and that's true. Yeah. And so I, you know, as long as it's the, I think that as long as you're even just talking about it now, that's a step that I think uh, maybe people who were in the generations before you might not have had that opportunity to gotten do, to have, you know, no, that's the landscape that yeah. you've got now, you've got complete control of your narrative, or at least a some of your narrative inside or outside of a film or an album, you know, you've got your own pages, yeah. you can speak directly to people. You know, I'm not super um, in touch with like the public in that way. Um, so I don't totally know, but I, I think when I am in touch with the public, I'm for the most part, I'm just greeted by the most wonderful people. I mean, the, the incredible gift the Duffer Brothers gave me of playing this powerful independent young gay woman is that um is that my the, the people that she really speaks to are just the most wonderful people in the world like they're just these 
brilliant, young, intelligent women who see me and say like, oh, that spoke to me, that mattered, that meant something. And and there's no greater gift in the world than than getting to matter to young women. It is. It should be everyone's goal. This Must Be The Gig is produced by Adam Kibble. We'd like to thank Dean Berger and Daniel Brater for additional music, as well as the Consequence Podcast Network. Hey! If you've listened this far, why not go the extra mile and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts. Your comments provide valuable feedback for us and it helps other people find us too. For information on new episodes, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at TMBTGPod. And generally, just irritate everyone you know about the show. Thanks again, and I miss you already. Consequence Podcast Network.